So last Sunday we started a sermon series on the book of James, and the focus I would say in the book of James is all about putting your faith to work. This is a book of action, and this is a book that challenges believers. So we are journeying through this over the next number of weeks, and I encourage you, bring your Bible to church. Bring your pen and notebook and make notes, and let's see this as a time of studying God's Word and growing in the Word of God. Do you really love God's Word? Then let's get into it. Let's grow. Let's allow God to touch us and change us through His Word. Now, we looked uh, last Sunday at the first half of chapter 1, and this morning we'll be looking at the second half of that chapter, specifically James chapter 1, verse 12 to 27. Please turn there so long, and I encourage you, keep your Bible open right throughout the time of the message, so as we refer back to a scripture, you're onto it, you can read it, you can follow in your Bible. Um, Now, just to say, if you missed last Sunday, I'd like to encourage you, why don't you just feel free to catch up and listen to the MP3 on our website. Easy, free of charge, chooselifechurch.com, listen to the MP3, because you can build in a wonderful understanding of the whole book of James, especially if you don't miss out on any of this. Now, I would just like to reiterate some aspect of context and background regarding this book, which has five chapters, the book of James or the epistle of James. And in terms of the background about the epistle of James, who was this James and what do we know about him? Now, firstly, just to mention that there are, in fact, four James people in the Bible, and Jesus had two disciples by the name James. One was James, the son of Zebedee. The other one was James, the son of Alphaeus. Now, neither of them were responsible for this letter, but rather, get this, it was James the actual brother of Jesus that wrote the book of James. Isn't that amazing? And uh, that he would become part of the whole movement of the kingdom of God. Uh, Wonderful, because, you know, if your brother is the son of God, it must be quite something growing up with him. (laughs) But at the end of the day, his life was also changed. And he became a leader in the church. And here he is teaching the word of God to us today. So James was writing to Jewish believers who were scattered abroad, the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Now, from Jerusalem, where this community was, that he was writing from into the 12 tribes, initially, Peter was the key leader of the church in Jerusalem, which was like a mother church. But then Peter began to move on and plant churches elsewhere, and so James emerged as the key leader in that mother church in Jerusalem. And it's quite interesting because essentially he became the, uh, the, the leader who was leading the first Christian community, the original Christian church. And he didn't have you know, others that he could look at and copy their example, uh, other churches to follow on from. He could just have to start off scratch and go for it. So he was privileged to lead that first community. And James, he was a good man. According to scripture, it seems clear that he was a good man. He was known as a pillar in the community. And what happened is that he led that community for about 20 years. 
Sadly, in the end, James was martyred for his faith. Now, in terms of the epistle of James, it is full of a lot of wisdom. And this wisdom is intended to build mature Christians, solid Christians. James is a person who loves to challenge people to say, well, are you really living the word? And so I just want to warn you as we're going through the message today, there are some things that will challenge you today. So put your seatbelts on. Let's get straight into our passage, James chapter 1, verse 12 to 27. It says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, with the, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. I love the my love, beloved brethren phrase. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, do you see the love for God's people once again? Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of God does not produce the righteousness, sorry, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word. Please say the word doers. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. I want to tell you, you can look at lives of Christians around about you, and if you see the life of the doer, that is a blessed person, no doubt about it. Verse 26, if any among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Now, verse 27, which is often an overlooked verse, which doesn't receive enough emphasis, it says the following, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Amen. The Lord bless the reading of his holy word. Amen. Good. Now, there are actually many important truths in this passage and we don't have the time to explore all of them. But there are five ones which I feel are really crucial, and I would like to place them into five points and share that with you this morning. Are you ready, church? Point number one, 
dealing with temptations. Number one, dealing with temptations. In uh, the passage, in particular in verses 13 to 16, we see that this deals with what can be called unholy temptations. Now, earlier on in James chapter 1, we see that we were dealing with something which could be called holy trials and testings. Holy trials and testings. But now we are dealing with unholy temptation. And this is very different. Let me tell you that holy trials are designed to bring out the best in you. But unholy temptations are there to try to destroy your life to kill you, to destroy your life. But also, as we are talking about temptations, which clearly the scripture passage is dealing with, there's something that we need to settle right off the bat and be clear about, and it is this, that when we are tempted to sin, temptation never, ever comes from God. You need to be assured of that. That is true according to the scripture. Temptation never comes from God. Yes, God will allow tests in order for the developing of your faith, but he will never tempt you to commit any kind of evil. And we need to know and understand God's character. So he will never tempt us to any kind of evil. Can I get an amen? Amen. So let no one say, I am tempted by God. It just doesn't happen Because God will never, ever lure you into sin. Praise the Lord. And verse 14 and 15 of James chapter 1 says the following. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Now, interesting. There is a tendency in mankind that we always want to blame somebody else or something else when things go wrong. Or if there is a dealing with an issue of temptation and then sin, we want to blame somebody else. We don't want to take responsibility for it. No, it was my circumstances in which it was raised. It was because my father was abusive to me. That's why I did it. Excuses, excuses all the time. And uh, I'm sure you've heard the saying that Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on, you've heard that one. (laughs) But let me tell you, we need to take responsibility for sin, and we should not try shift blame, or say it's not my fault, just the way I grew up, no, we need to take responsibility if we're going to deal with these things. Now, a key phrase from verse 14 is these words, own desires. Please say that with me, own desires. One more time, own desires. And when we are dealing with this aspect of temptation, we need to realize this aspect of own desires is very pertinent. And so let me ask you this question. Where does sin come from? Well, ultimately, the devil brought sin into the world because mankind went along with it and so on. But now that the fall is over and all of that, sin comes from our own desires. That is what the Bible says. 
It comes from our own desires. And in other words, it comes from within our hearts. It comes from our fallen nature, our unregenerate nature, our old nature. And Jesus confirmed that sin comes from within the heart. From Matthew 15, verse 19, he said, For out of the heart, please say the word heart. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. I just want to point out the one word there, which is the word fornication. And I just want to say to you that fornication is sex outside of the covenant of marriage. And I want to say, even though the world might think that that is cool, I want to tell you, God doesn't think that that is cool. It's not okay. It's simply not okay. Come on, you can put your hands together because that's the truth of the word of God. And so I want to remind you that fornication is sin. And I believe that there's not enough pulpits declaring it clearly, and we need to know it clearly so that we can make sure that we're not going and being conformed to the pattern of the thinking of the world, but we're being transformed by the renewing of our minds. I want to tell you, is the Word of God challenging you? Absolutely. And there might be some people under the sound of my voice, I want to tell you, stop living together and then get married under God and in the blessing of God. You know what? All the guilt will go out of the door right away. All of the guilt will go out of the door. Let's be people that obey the Word of God. Now, in terms of this aspect of sin coming out of the heart, I want to ask you and temptation and so on, are we helpless victims of sin? And the answer is certainly not, because let me tell you, in Christ Jesus, we are victorious over sin. The blood of Jesus has empowered us to be victorious over sin. And you cannot be victorious over sin in your own capacity, in your own power. You're going to fail time and time again. I'm going to fail time and time again. But I want to tell you, there is one who has a power that is far greater, and he endues us with power in order to live a victorious Christian life, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and it is through Christ that we are led in triumph. And so, no, you are not a helpless victim when temptation comes along. But you have Christ in you, empowering you to live a victorious life. I think of David and Bathsheba, a well-known story in the Bible. So what happened was David was on the roof of the palace. He was actually supposed to be at war. And then while on the roof, he happened to glance down, probably completely innocently at first, and he saw Bathsheba who the Bible says was an unusually beautiful woman, and she was bathing. Now, I just think bathing outdoors is not a good idea. <laughs> Outdoor shower is not a good idea. But let's not make excuses, okay? So, he sees this lady, and she's bathing, and she's very beautiful, and right there comes the choice. Because if he starts to entertain it, it's going to lead to destruction. But right there is where he sort of said no, right in that point of time. But instead, he probably began to look a lot longer, and then he called somebody, said, who is that? Go fetch her for me. Bring her here. And they slept together, and there was a, a baby conceived out of that. But you know what? God was very displeased with David 
because David had sinned in the eyes of the Lord. It was clear that there was destruction that also came as a result of this. And I just want to remind you, folks, that the devil is a liar. When you're at work and you see that colleague at work and you think, wow, they're very nice and and maybe my life would be better if I said no to this person that I'm married to and yes to this person. My life would be better. I want to tell you it's a lie. The devil is a liar. Don't give in to his lies. Don't believe his lies. He never tells the truth. He's the father of lies. He opens his lies and talks about his little rubbish. <laughs> He's the father of lies. And I want to tell you your life will not be better if you go with that person. Your life will be worse off. I can prophesy your life will be worse off. And so we need to make sure that we're doing what honors God in situations like this. Now, there is a process that leads to sin. It doesn't just happen. There is a process. It starts small, yes, just with that glance. But you know what? If you follow and entertain that, it ends big and bad. It is not a pretty sight. But the key, one of the keys that I see it is the following. The moment the evil thought comes, say no. Stop it early. That is the key. Let me say it again. The moment that evil thought of temptation comes, right there you say no and you stop it. It's so much easier than trying to let things go further and think, no, you'll just pull it back. Because let me tell you, when that thought comes and you stop it, 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 it makes it a lot easier because let me tell you, if you don't think it, you won't end up doing it. It's very true. And so there's a powerful verse. It's Romans 6, verse 12 to 14. And this is a verse which speaks about victory over sin. Romans 6, 12 to 14, it says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And then I love this part, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Do you hear that? Oh, I love that. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but are under grace. And I want to tell you, that scripture is telling you that you can live in victory. Even if your parents who went before you lived a life completely full of muck and sin, I want to tell you that you can start afresh by the blood of Jesus and you can live in victory in your life. Say amen, would you please? Amen. Now say this after me. Sin has no dominion over me. Because Jesus empowers me to live righteously. Amen. So we have to rely on Christ's power. Number two, be assured that Father God always gives good gifts. Verse 17 of our text says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Now, it would appear that James had encountered certain people who thought that God would give you bad gifts of temptation. And so firstly, Paul is, sorry, not Paul, James, is making it abundantly clear that firstly, God does not tempt us, 
But then he's actually saying, God does completely the opposite of tempt us. He blesses us with good and perfect gifts from heaven, so don't be deceived, James is saying. And so this is where you need to choose. I'm going to believe in the character of my God. And I want to say he doesn't give terrible so-called gifts of temptation. No, he's the giver of every good and perfect gift. Are you grateful to the Lord for who he is, for the wonderful, gracious nature? And so James is urging us not to be misled, but to believe in the wonderful goodness of God. Now, this passage refers to shadow of turning. Please say that, shadow of turning. Quite interesting. Now, the shadow of turning, some theologians say, may refer to the sundial. Because what happens is, with the sundial, when the sun moves, the shadow turns. That's what takes place. And also, the sun, moon, and stars, they are changing all the time. And essentially, there's no consistency. There's the shadow of turning. Even if you stand in one place long enough, you start to see that, you start to see that your shadow turns. And so the point is that there's no consistency in terms of the shadow of turning. But I want to tell you, God is not like that. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. He does not give you bad things the one day and good things the next day. No, His character is consistent in His goodness towards us. Amen? Amen. Point number three. Get rid of all filthiness. Please say this with me. Get rid of all filthiness. Now, this is what the Bible says. <laughs> and it says in James 1, verse 21, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness. This is practical teaching. And overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls let me tell you, the word of God is able to save and deliver you in an incredible way. So that's what it says, lay aside all filthiness. In the New Living Translation, it says, get rid of all filth and evil in your lives. So I want to ask you, is God's word clear on this matter of filth? Is he clearly saying that we must get rid of everything that is filthy? And the answer is yes, for sure. And so I want to ask you, if you haven't yet, at this point in your life, taken God seriously on getting rid of filthiness, I want to challenge you that today you begin to become a doer of the word like never before. And you say, I might have compromised for years, but now I'm going to begin to live in a way that I'm getting rid of filthiness in my life. I don't want these filthiness things. I don't want these dirty thoughts. I want to get rid of them. And let me just tell you that as long as you are on planet Earth, you are going to need to say no to that which is filthy and yes to that which is righteous. One day when you get to heaven, we won't have to worry about that anymore. But as long as you're on earth, you're going to have to say no to what is filthy. Some of you might say, well, John, I've been saying no for so many years. It's almost getting a little bit tiring. And I want to say, please don't give up. Don't give up. Keep on saying no. For the sake of your marriage, for the sake of your children, for your sake of your own life, for your sake of honoring God, please keep on saying no to the things that are filthy. And Galatians 6 verse 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, 
For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And in terms of the laying aside of filthiness, this refers to every kind of uncleanness, whether it is spiritual filthiness, mental filthiness, or physical filthiness. And so I want to say, realize that if you really want to see your life transformed by Jesus, you have to reject that which is evil. God will empower you to reject it, but still you have to make the choice to reject it. And I want to say that you, sir, ma'am, you are better than that filth. Come on. You are better than that filth. You are better than that muck, than that rubbish, because you are a righteous man of God, and you're a righteous woman of God because of the righteousness of Jesus. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Please tell the person next to you, you're a righteous person because of Jesus. Point number four, purpose in your heart to be a doer, a person who lives the word. Uh, I was chatting with the pastors during the week about this word doer, and I was saying, it's, it's almost like it's become a bit of a cliche, a doer of the word, a doer of the word, and, and isn't there some other word that we can come up with that more effectively com, uh, contains this aspect of being a doer? And actually, I've struggled to find a word that's better than being a doer. But it does mean a person who lives the word. So it says in James 1, verse 22 to 24, and we're looking at the New Living Translation, it says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. I want to tell you there's many Christians that are fooling themselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. And so, in essence, what this is saying is, don't let the word of God go in one ear and out the other ear. But when you hear the word of God, the key is to act on what you hear. And when you act on what the, you hear, you become that person who is a doer. And I want to tell you, I can see the difference in people's lives in this congregation who have purposed in their heart that they will be doers of the word. You can see a change. The moment you determine, I'm going to be a doer of the word, it's like your spiritual life goes to another level. And suddenly it's not just talk, but it's action. It's living it. It's being a doer of the word. That is what God is looking for. And so the Bible, if it just hangs around, doesn't make a difference. But it has to be put into action. Let me ask you this question. If you own a copy of the Bible and it stands on your bookshelf unused, is that of any benefit? The answer is no. If you read the Bible as mere human literature... Is that of any benefit? And the answer is, well, probably not. You see, it's not enough to admire the Word of God. It's not enough to just look at those Proverbs with a cold heart and say, wow, what fascinating wisdom we see in the Proverbs. It has to translate into transforming your life. 
and becoming a doer of the word. We must obey the word. It must transform us. So in reality, it deals with the desire of your heart because in your heart, there needs to be a desire to hear what God is saying through his word and do whatever he says as a result of what is being said. And so I want to say to you, child of God, the Bible must translate into action in our lives. Am I making myself clear? But one more thing about this. I believe that the word of God must become so in us and we become so doers of the word that we actually become the word in flesh. That people start to see your life is a literal demonstration of the word of God. And that they are the letter that they are reading. Your life is the letter that they are reading about the word of God. The Bible says that we are living epistles. People are reading our lives. And one of the most powerful stages you can reach in your walk with the Lord is where you are so truly living it that people see Jesus in you. They see that Jesus is manifested in the flesh, in my brother-in-law, in that person at work. Come on, praise the Lord. Amen. Now, a theologian said the following, which is very interesting. It's on your screen. To profess great love for God's word, or even to pose as a Bible student, is a form of deception unless our increasing knowledge of the word is producing increasing likeness to the Lord Jesus. Isn't that powerful? I want to say something. I'm going to speak quite openly here. Our main university campus has a theological faculty. But you know what? Many of the people that lead that theological faculty are not doers of the words. They intellectually know the word, they've got so many degrees, but they've got no temperature. They've got no fire of God inside of them. And I want to tell you, I pray for the day when all the theological institutions in this country would be run by people who are on fire for God, who know how to live the word and see lives transformed of students that come into that context. Because God is not pleased by that hypocrisy, by that fooling of themselves. I don't want to tell you the Bible says they are deceiving themselves. But we need people that will live the word of God. Amen. Amen. And so let me just give you a few quick examples of being a doer of the word. When you forgive somebody who has hurt you, you are a doer of the word. When you honor your parents, you are a doer of the word. When you keep yourself pure, you are a doer of the word. Listen to this one. When you care for others, including orphans and widows, you're a doer of the word. Which brings me to the last point, point number five. True Christianity involves caring for the vulnerable. Please say this with me. True Christianity involves caring for the vulnerable. And the scripture says in verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. And James is sure challenging us here. But wasn't it good to hear earlier in the service the testimony of reaching out to those who don't have much and helping them with primary health care? That includes orphans and that includes uh, uh, widows, almost said videos, widows, 
Praise the Lord that reaching out is taking place. Also, centrally from the congregation, we are reaching out to orphans and widows in many ways. Also, we did an audit recently of our congregation to find out, besides for centrally as a church, how many people in the congregation are involved in social upliftment ministries outside of the church, this, this local congregation. And it is approximately 50 people that are serving in ministries that are uplifting people, and many of those are lifting up orphans and widows. Can we thank the Lord for that? Amen. It's wonderful. Sometimes you read this and you think, well, nobody's doing enough, and yes, we can do more, but I also just want to say, thank you, God, for what is being done already. And yes, James is sure challenging us. And in James, what he's saying, essentially, he says, listen, if your life has truly been changed by God, then demonstrate it. Demonstrate it by showing love and compassion for people that are vulnerable. And he mentions orphans and widows as examples. But I'd like to say that it's not limited to orphans and widows. I think that those were just examples that he gave. And it extends beyond orphans and widows to anybody who is in a vulnerable situation. Can be people in drug addiction or abuse or domestic violence, whatever it may be. But here, you see, folks, the thing is, we cannot ignore the hurting if we're in love with Jesus. Because the way in which he changes our hearts makes our hearts soft towards other people. A last scripture I want to read, and it's Matthew 25, verse 40, Jesus speaking. He says, whatever you did to the least of these, my brethren, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. That's how God feels about this. And I want to end off with one final statement. God is looking for a godliness that moves us to compassion. Can you say amen? amen? So folks, we are dealing with the book of James. We've dealt with the second half of chapter one. Essentially, we dealt firstly, number one, dealing with temptations. Secondly, we spoke about be assured that Father God always gives good gifts. Thirdly, we dealt with get rid of all filthiness. Fourthly, Purpose in your heart to be a doer, someone who actually lives the word. And then lastly, true Christianity involves caring for the vulnerable. May I invite you to stand as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, your word is life. And your word is sharper than any two-edged sword dividing between bone and marrow. And so we just say that whatever has come out of your word today, our hearts are open. We receive. Change us. Make us more like you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we just think of the area of temptation to sin as we go into this week, Lord. Thank you that by the power of Christ, we will say no. The moment those evil thoughts come, we will say no. And we will choose what is righteous. Thank you that you empower us for victory, Lord. And Lord, also we pray, help us to be people that don't just talk about the Bible, but we really live it and do it. We look to you, Lord, 
And now I bless you people. I say the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of His smile and countenance upon you and give you peace. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.